After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I might bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the hand of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. This is the word of the Lord. to ask you to pray with me one more time. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you make it fresh to us. Uh, Open our eyes to see Jesus, to see why you have given us these words, uh, why, why you've written these down for us. Lord, would we hear your voice speaking individually to lives here in all sorts of circumstances and needs, Lord, that, that we would hear, that they would hear, 
how you want to build them up, uh, to take hold of what is most meaningful and permanent in life, which is you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've uh, been in this series uh, on Jacob that is centered on how, the theme of it is how God redeems and uses flawed people, which is really good news for us, uh, because that's who we are. And, And we've seen this, if you've tracked through the life of Jacob, you've seen remarkable evidence of this. God has taken Jacob, this insecure, grasping younger brother, where he feels like he's got to cheat his way into anything that he wants in life. And God has built a solidity. He has built a stability into this man. And God has blessed him. And he has actually blessed all sorts of people through Jacob. His wives, his children. He's actually he's blessed the entire world now through Joseph. Millions of lives saved through Joseph and averting... Uh, famine and destruction that was coming through that and, and Joseph being in command. And, and now we have in this passage, front and center is for Jacob, how is God going to use his life? How is God going to use his legacy in the next generation? Because he, he's near the end. Now, I, I remember a, a number of years ago, I was listening to a sermon. I don't remember if it was online or, or in person. This is not a church I was working at. But uh, the, the point of the sermon was, what will your legacy be? That was kind of like the whole, that was the whole uh, topic. And the sermon, I think, had a number of good points. There was a number of practical reminders because the main thing that the pastor was trying to do was to get people to think about how do you want to be remembered? That's always a good question to think about. And his aim was to get people to transfer their values, transfer their goals from more surface level things that we all are concerned about, right? Like your job and success and money and image and those sorts of things, right? To more lasting, more permanent things, right? Like relationships and, and giving to other people, serving others, those types of things. And that's, that's good. I think that, that's a good point that's helpful as far, as far as it goes. But there are two problems, as I see it, with that advice, when, when that is the main way, the main way that you want to get people to think about their legacy. And the first one is you don't have to go to church to hear that message. <laughs> Just, you don't. Uh, you're going to hear that really all sorts of places. There was a, there's an author, uh, he's a, David Brooks, he's a columnist for the New York Times as well, and he wrote an article back in 2015 on this exact issue. It's sort of the whole subject is about a eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. Right? This is the idea, right? What should you be living for? The, the, the eulogy virtues, not what you, you list on a resume. And really, I mean, you can go to any self-help book, you can go to any therapist, you can go to any YouTuber right, who's going to talk to you about how to live your life, and they're going to give you the same advice, right? That, that really, at the end of the day, what matters is relationships and, and, and other people and giving back, right? Those kinds of things. So, so you're going to get that from a lot of different places. 
But here's the other problem with thinking about your legacy in those terms. And that is that you can still end up being a very self-absorbed person. Very preoccupied with yourself. And the reason for that is because really all that you have done, right? It's still, <laughs> still all about you. All you have done is you have just shifted one set of metrics, one set of, of values for another. And in the end, your legacy is still all about you, right? And what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? Now, admittedly, you're, you're ending up with a better final product, probably, than, than like ending up as a war criminal or you know, like a con artist. Uh, but you're not actually passing on something that substantive to the next generation. And, and part of the reason I say that is I, I see plenty of people, I see plenty of people today, well-intentioned people, Good-hearted people who are trying really hard to be nice people. Nice, caring, compassionate people. Uh, and at the end of the day, typically, right, the, these people end up being, by and large, non-offensive, uh, but fairly bland, um, vanilla, uh, just, just fairly uninspiring, frankly, um, as far as that goes. And so the, the fundamental problem here, you see, is not that we care about the wrong set of values. The fundamental problem is that we are focused on ourselves rather than God. That's, that's the real issue. And so the main point for us to consider as you think about how do you want to pass on a legacy is to pass on God to the next generation, not yourself. Pass on God to the next generation, not yourself. And we're going to look at how Jacob does this here as he's getting ready to die uh, throughout this passage with Joseph. And there's three principles that I would suggest that we, we can all start doing now from this. We're going to look at. Uh, and the first one is to see, to look for God's blessing not your achievements. And the second one is going to be reverse your valuations. Reverse your valuations. And then the third principle is to pass on God's presence. So, before we get into these, I want to acknowledge I'm taking something for granted here, and that is that you want to pass on a legacy. I don't think that's much of a stretch. I think that is human nature. That all of us naturally, innately want to do that. We want to pass on something meaningful. But what is not human nature, what doesn't just come naturally, I think, is, is thinking about who are the people, first of all. Who, who are the people that God has actually put around your life that that's likely to happen with? Or that you have an influence on, that you have a formational impact. Not, decis- not decisive, but formational impact. And then also to think about, well, what is it I actually want to pass on? <laughs> what do I want these people that, that I have an influence and in, what do I want them to, to gain from me? So I want to encourage you to think about uh, who those people are in your life and, and what do you want them to gain from you. Now, the first thing we learn from Jacob here is to see God's blessings, not our own 
achievements. And, and this is a whole way, it is a whole view of thinking about your life. And you can hear this all throughout Jacob's speech to Joseph here. You start in verses 3 through 4, Jacob starts recounting his life. How does he start? He starts with God. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. This is the starting point of his life. In the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. You skip down to verse 11. And Jacob says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And you skip down to verses 15 to 16. As Jacob's blessing his grandchildren, he starts off by saying, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, and then this is the God that he asks to actually do the blessing. Now, something very interesting in this last part here is Jacob mentions that God has redeemed him from all evil. From all evil. Right? And yet, we have just a few verses earlier, verse 7, Jacob talks about the untimely death of his wife Rachel. Right? So, clearly Jacob does not mean that his relationship with God here has protected him from anything bad happening in his life. Like, that can't be what he means. Because Jacob's gone through a lot of evil in that sense. A lot of hard things have happened to Jacob. So what is the evil that he's talking about? That that God has redeemed him from? What's his ever falling away from God? It's his ever losing this relationship that's more important than anything else in his life. That God has, has redeemed him from that. Yeah, and there, one of the vital lessons I think we, we have to learn here from Jacob is that as he is looking back on his life now, as he's reflecting over his life, he, he is looking at it in terms of God's blessings. Not his own, Jacob's, successes or failures. It's not his achievements. And this is a lens through which you, you, we have to look at all of our lives. Now, I think you can understand this concept a bit, right, about a perspective. Right? This is kind of what separates an, an optimist from a pessimist, right? It's, you know, is the glass half full or is it half empty? It's like, what's the perspective that you are looking at? But it is, it's more than that. It's more than just a, a, a perspective. It is a shifting of the baseline narrative of your story. right? From what are you doing? What have you done? How have you succeeded or failed in life? What kinds of good opportunities have come your way? Or what kind of bad breaks have fallen your way? To what has God done? What is God doing? How is he using this challenge? How is he using this blessing to grow me closer to him? As you reflect back over your life, that the question to be reflecting on is, is how has God shown me his faithfulness through these various different seasons in my life? And I really believe that this is a discipline. This is something we got to learn how to do. It's not something that comes 
naturally. It's, it's something that I think that we grow in throughout the Christian life. Because this is a major shift. It's a major shift in our thinking. Because we've talked about this earlier, but it's a, ma- it's a matter of shifting who is the main character in your story. And, and the answer is that your story and your life, just like my life, isn't really about us. That, that it's about God. That is a radical shift. It's a huge shift to try to get that into our heads. Because what that means is that it is not merely a matter of looking back over your life or, or thinking about what's happening in your life now and, and seeing it as either, okay, well, well, God is blessing me and and he's blessing my efforts or, well, well God is redirecting me here by, you know, uh, opening or closing certain doors and opening other windows. Right? If that's the only way that you look at your life, then in that sort of scene, in that sort of perspective, God is still very much in the background. Right? He's still kind of just this background mentor figure, life coach figure. Right? He's just, you know, he wishes you well, and he's wanting, to, he's wanting to bring out the best in you. And that's true. That is part of who God is. But that's not the whole picture. There is a much bigger reality at play. And that is that God is redeeming and using your life for His purposes. And this is the gospel. Both uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians 6, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus, Jesus has removed our grounds for boasting. Meaning that everything that God does in our life, if you are a Christian, good or bad, It is meant to make Jesus look greater in your life. That's what it's about. It's done so that we understand the character of God more. That we understand the depth of Jesus' love more. And as you understand this, as you digest this, it is going to start changing the way that you pass on your legacy. The way that you tell the story of your life. People will start hearing this from you as you you recount, as you talk about what's happening in your life. Whether that's the past 20 years or or what's happened in the past week of your life. Because think about the way that you share stories about your life reveals the kind of legacy that you want to leave. I'm going to say that again. The way that you share stories about your life reveals the kind of legacy that you want to live. leave. Because you, you think about, you tell a story about what happened to you yesterday. Or what, I ask you, well, what happened to you yesterday? And you, you are going to tell me a story. That story is not going to be just a bare recounting of the facts, like a chronicling of minute-by-minute journal, here, da, 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 here's all the things that happened. No. What are you going to do? You're going to pick out certain events that happened and, and uh, your response to those things or lessons that you learned and, and other things. You're going to draw those things out, and what you draw out is going to reveal 
what's actually important to you. Right? In, in the way that you share that. And here's what God wants us to see about the story of our lives. Just like Jacob. That's that God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. He's guiding us through everything that comes our way in order to show us how good He is. Let's go on to the second way that we can pass on God to the next generation and not ourselves. And that is to reverse your valuations. Reverse your valuations. And we're going to see it here as Jacob blesses his grandchildren. Ephraim and Manasseh, he flips his hands here, right? There's this great scene that's going on here where where Jacob is reenacting, in many ways, the blessing that he got now over a hundred years ago when Isaac, his father, blind as well, brings his sons, when he thinks he's about to die, Jacob and Esau, and blesses them. Right? And, and there's this, it's interesting, I think, that there's, there's this awareness in the patriarchs, in Jacob, in Isaac, in Abraham, especially as they get older, that there is an awareness in them of, of everything we've just been talking about here as far as legacy. There's an awareness in them that their lives are really meaningful, that their actions and their words and, and their legacy is really meaningful. Not because they are such great men in themselves, right? but because they're part of something. They're part of something that is so much greater than they are. That's very powerful. And that's God's promises and God's faithfulness that they're wanting to pass along. That's what they want to pass on. They are intent about passing this on to the next generation. And then we have Jacob doing the same thing his father Isaac did. He blesses the younger over the firstborn. And this, uh, this causes quite a bit of controversy. Joseph, uh, Joseph's not too happy about this. Joseph does not like what his father is doing, which I find this a little bit ironic, uh, right? because uh, Joseph is not like the youngest one in his family, but he is pretty close. And Joseph is very aware on a personal level of what it's like to be discriminated against, to be, to be not loved and, and hated and rejected by his brothers because of unfair treatment that he, as the younger one, got. Right? He, he knows all of that personally, and yet he's, he's doing the same thing. Uh, you know, and i got to say, um, yeah, how, out of curiosity, right, how many people here... By, by show of hands, how many people are the, the youngest sibling? You're, you're the youngest, youngest brother, youngest sister in your in your family. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Some some love for the other other youngest, of course. Uh, yeah, actually, I, that's true for me. I'm I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest brother. And uh, man, I I gotta say, I remember hearing these stories as a kid, and I loved it. I love these stories. I love these stories. Uh, but you know, I didn't know. I didn't ever hear. Uh, how my brother felt about these, but my my guess is uh, that if you are if you're a kid, right, and and you are an older sibling, maybe if you're not a kid, an older sibling, uh, you feel like this is a little bit unfair, right? You're hearing the story, you think this this is unfair because you know 
The youngest is already getting all the perks. <laughs> they're, they're already getting all the special treatment, right? And, and guys, they, they don't need anything else here. All right, and so, you know, I think that we got to understand something that's, that's happening here. And there's a lot of these stories in the Bible. I mean, you think about David, uh, you think about uh, the prodigal son in Jesus' parable. There's a lot of these, these kinds of examples. But we got to understand something about these kinds of stories. All right, and that's that it is not about birth order. I hope that's obvious. It's not about birth order. You're not more or less likely to be loved by God based on where you fall in the birth order. What this is about is God turning the world's value system upside down. That's what's happening in these stories. Because the closest analogy you can think of, right, to be a, uh, to be a firstborn son, in a family in ancient Israel, it would be like being born into an incredibly uh, powerful, well-educated, very wealthy family today. Okay, You are loaded with privilege just because of when you were born or how you were born. You didn't do anything, right? You, you didn't, nothing special about you. You haven't earned this, you haven't, you haven't worked to do anything, but you are automatically set up in life to have a better life. Or you're automatically set up to be more successful or more influential than other people because of your birth. And that is what God again and again and again is turning on its head. And he's saying, when it comes to my blessings and privileges, I, I don't play by those same rules. In fact, it tends to be the exact opposite system of the people who get blessed by God, who are likely to be favored by God. Jesus says how difficult, how difficult it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says that Matthew 5, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. Matthew 19, Jesus talks about it's the ones who are like little children who are going to come into the kingdom of heaven. And he says that many who are first will be last, and last will be first. And you think about why this is the case. Well, you know, who is going to be most likely to receive the good news that you can be saved, that you can be delivered from yourself, that you can be given a new life? It's probably not the people who like the life they have. <laughs> probably not the people who are comfortable and successful and privileged. Right? I mean, your, your odds are, are going to somebody like that and saying, they're just, they're just much lower. Or you go to somebody like that and say, hey, you know, you, you can have infinite, infinite just riches of grace in Christ Jesus, but you've got to be willing to give up everything. They're going to look at you, probably say, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually good. I'm, I, I'm doing pretty well, actually. So uh, that, that sounds good, but I like my life. So one of the most powerful ways right, that, that we pass on this legacy of God to the next generation is passing on his reversed system of values. You're just not going to find anything like it in this world. 
anywhere else. You think about, well, who do you spend your time with? Or who, who do you decide is worth your effort? That, that's worth becoming friends with? That's, that's going to give you the, the most ROI on your investment of pouring into them? Right? I'm not saying that those are bad questions to ask. Jesus prayed for and then chose 12 disciples. Only 12. Right? And then from those 12, he chose another three to be in his inner circle. Right? And Jesus loved and hung out with, was friends with, enjoyed plenty of rich and powerful and, and privileged people. He, he, he loved them. What I'm saying here is that if you want to pass on God and not yourself, you will not use the same value system as the world in evaluating your relationships. You won't rate people, whether consciously or not, in terms of, well, how much is this person going to benefit me? How likely is it that having this person in my circle is going to get me what I want? That is the world's way of doing it. And this brings us to the last point here, which is really just I want to defend the point of making all along, which is that if you want to pass on a great legacy to the next generation, it's passing on God and not ourselves. Look at what, what Jacob says to his son Joseph. This is verse 21 as he's about to die. He says, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. God will be with you. And will bring you again to the land of your fathers. You think about what is a legacy? It's something that you want to leave behind, right? And you want to leave behind for the next generation, especially those that you care the most about. But it's also something that you're hoping is going to be beneficial to them that they can use, that, that will be helpful to them in their lives. And so, if what you are passing on is yourself, ultimately, best case scenario, best case scenario, you're an awesome person, all right? Best case scenario, you leave behind a good memory of yourself. So that to the extent that you have mattered in someone else's life, they will remember you. Right? They will think about who you were. They'll think about the kind of life that you lived and, and what you did. And they will want to imitate some of the same things in their own life. And that's something, but it, it, it's really pretty small. It's pretty petty when you compare that to passing on God, the living God, a relationship with Jesus. Listen to Jacob's final words again. He says, I am about to die, but God will be with you. You don't, with God, you don't just get a fond, warm memory. You don't just get a nice impression that this person left behind. You have the living God. You have this relationship with the creator of the universe who can be with you all the time. 
that that can guide you and walk with you throughout your life. Just like he did for Jacob. You get somebody that you can cry out to and talk to and ask for help. You get someone who is much, much better than, than even a really good father or mother. Because a good father, a good mother, they're trying to help you. They're trying to care for you. They're trying to set you up well in life. But they're not going to do it perfectly. And they're not going to be around forever. And they can't control everything. But God is going to do it perfectly. And he does control everything. And this is why when Jacob blesses his grandchildren in verses 15 to 16, he commits them to God's care. He's asking God to do the blessing. This is what I want to close with. Jacob asks God, verse 16, to carry on Jacob's name in them. The name of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. What does he mean? What is he asking for? This is his legacy, right? Your name, your name is your legacy. And what he means is that they will carry on Jacob's name as it relates to being in God's promises. Right? That he's asking God to carry on this name, these promises, to them. It's the same thing he says to Joseph in verse 21. He says, God will bring you again to the land of your fathers, the land God has promised. Jacob's legacy to Joseph, his legacy to his grandchildren, it's not based on warm, well wishes, you know, best hopes for their lives. It's not even based on what he, Jacob, has done to set them up well for life. He knows that none of that is going to matter if God isn't with them. Jacob's legacy is based on God's presence and God's faithfulness. That is what he is asking God to carry on. Now, this is a little bit tricky because... Jacob has no guarantee that his children or his grandchildren will actually receive this. That they will value this legacy. That they will, uh, that they will embrace it. Of what it means to be a part of this family. What it means to be connected to God. But you think about it. That's true of any legacy that you want to pass on. You, you get no guarantee that somebody else will actually receive and value it the way that you think they should. And, and so there's, there's a challenge here, this, because you, you can't force it. But here's what you can know. You can know that as you try to pass on Jesus to the next generation, you are passing on someone that is far greater than anything that we can hope to leave behind. You're passing on someone who has infinite resources and who will always be there. You're passing on someone who is able to save people and help people and bless people far beyond anything that we could ever do, even if we did live forever. So let's pray that this would be what we value as far as what we we want to pass on, the legacy we want to to hand forward. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you do endure. You are faithful. You are the same from generation to generation. Uh, and we don't, we don't reinvent you. We just take hold of who you are uh, and can lean on who you are. And, and we pray that as we, as we go through life, you would help us to understand what is going to be most meaningful and valuable to other people. Uh, and that it's not going to be us, no matter how good of a job we do, in, in whatever it is, uh, if, if it's apart from you. Because you are the one that saves, and the only one that can save. Thank you for that, and we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.